1: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is a podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our reluctant historian,
1: Dakota Lawson.
0: On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or never mind, that's his line,
1: Or you absolutely hate it.
0: (laughs) This podcast is for you. (laughs) All right, Dakota. Any guesses about what today will be about? Hmm. March 3rd is World Wildlife Day, and that's when this episode drops.
1: World Wildlife Day? Yes. Uh, History of... Hold on, hold on. I got this. Hold on. History of of park rangers. (laughs) What? No. No? Is Is it... I mean, I don't think you'll be able to beat that one.
0: I know. That would be like the most fascinating topic we could ever do.
1: I think so. (laughs) We could get into Yogi Bear. We
0: could. No. On today's episode, we are talking about the history of dogs. What? History of Louise? And Louise! And Jasper? And Jasper! That's cool.
1: Okay. History of dogs. Sweet. Yes. That's exciting.
0: Yeah. I know that we always joked about that one when we were like brainstorming this podcast and I was like yeah we do like the history of dogs that was a joke well obviously not because we're doing (laughs) the history of dogs
1: (laughs) okay cool I'm really excited about this because I'm super passionate about doges I know they're so perfect they are aren't they
0: yeah so sit down buckle up and get ready to listen to the history of the dog to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. All right, so two weeks ago, Dakota, we did an episode on the history of St. Valentine's Day and the saint himself, and we talked a little bit about sainthood and what it means to become a saint.
1: That was more like three weeks ago, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. <laughs> <laughs> as of this recording, just so you know, got it. Actually, actually,
0: as he pushes his glasses up his nose like a huge geek, and we, well, me, I made an error in that episode, so we have a new segment here that I'm calling Correction
1: Connection. Correction Connection. I kind of like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to call it.
0: I was going to call it Correction Corner, but I think that the podcast, um, my favorite murder does a correction corner and so we can't steal their title but yeah. we can steal their idea that's fair which i, I mean, still think could be copyrighted but i don't no, know
1: no because i mean uh, my kind of funny podcast they always do you're wrong um segments just like mm-hmm. this so it's a common thing i it's better than your name is better than what i was just thinking was is uh, liz makes us look bad on microphone it doesn't have as much of a ring to it. No,
0: cor- correction connection is a little bit better. So uh, my friend Becky uh, found this correction for us here, and uh, she did not email it to me because, you know, she has my cell phone number, so she doesn't need to... Email me, but a, if we, a
1: fan has your cell phone number, I know. Wow, you got to hey, be careful about who who you <laughs> give that out to.
0: Yeah, but so where can they email us if they do have a connection, Mister Lawson?
1: You can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail dot com.
0: Yes, and I do have my notifications turned on, so if you email us, we'll get it. But so Becky, she told me last week or this week or when did she? She texted me last week actually. She said uh, just or well, she didn't say that. I'm I'm adding putting words. In. <clears throat> she said. Mother Teresa is a saint. Ha 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 ha. She's St. Teresa of Calcutta. And then I said, oh no, I totally messed that up. So I did a little bit of Wikipedia research there real quick. And yes, she is a saint. She was canonized on the 4th of September in 2016. And so when I said she was not a saint, I was wrong.
1: It made us look bad. Now... I've only met Becky once, but I like to assume and pretend that her laughter actually is. <laughs> <laughs> just Would, like you did it. <laughs> I think it'd be great. I yeah. mean,
0: maybe she'll start laughing like that yeah. <laughs> forever now. You have to know, Becky. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It's the will of the reluctant historian. Yeah. Dakota, do you have a golden nugget for this week?
1: I forgot about that until about uh, two minutes ago, but mm-hmm. I I just thought of one, which might also be yours, but we'll see. Uh I've got the week off, as mm-hmm, do you, mm-hmm. so we are watching all of the Marvel movies in the MCU in chronological order, and so far we've watched Captain America, The First Avenger, and Captain Marvel. After this, we're going to start Iron Man 1 and 2, and go from there. And how are you liking it so far?
0: I am surprisingly enjoying it a lot. I didn't really think that I would enjoy superhero movies, um, but today, <laughs> today I had a little bit of a an outburst I don't even know what we would call it I we were watching um Captain Marvel and I was just very sad that I could not be a superhero so yeah. I would say I'm really liking it
1: <laughs> she was crying at this time so <laughs> I got really
0: emotional it's just like girl power and yeah. you know Brie Larson and Captain Marvel like I so good so good
1: yeah it was a really good movie I enjoyed it more the second time than than when I watched in theaters but yeah it was very good um so yeah that's been fun but what about you what's your golden nugget
0: well you stole it so uh. i knew i would (laughs) yeah i guess this is what happens when you live together you might sometimes have the same golden nugget yeah but i guess my golden nugget would be actually getting to see captain marvel i was excited before we started watching it i mean i've never been like a huge marvel universe fan or like really into it but we started watching wandavision um, a couple weeks ago, and I've been really getting into that and all of the like how powerful Scarlet Witch is, and just like how these female superheroes can be really cool. And then to actually get to see Captain Marvel, and she was like such a cool character and felt really down to earth, which is funny because she goes out of earth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was I was so I, hope, funny. Th- I hope the audience is laughing and. <laughs> I hope the audience is laughing at that joke as hard as you just laughed.
0: <laughs> I hope so too.
1: Cause wow. <laughs> You're I, so funny.
0: I know. Anyways, I just, I liked how funny she was. And then I was like, oh, I want to set her up with Loki or Valkyrie. I thought Thor initially. Um, but I don't think they'd be a good match. So, I and, don't know. I just really I enjoy just want it. you
1: to tell the audience why you think that she should be with Loki. <laughs> uh
0: because they're both very sassy.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> if there's one thing I know about Loki. Every time I see him, I go,
0: he's so sassy. I he is a sassy character. Yeah. <laughs> this is all I know of the Marvel universe. So,
1: yes, you know that Captain Marvel is cool and Loki is sassy. <laughs> mhm.
0: Okay, so <laughs> the history of dogs. We did a dog DNA test with Embark, not sponsored yet, but hopefully soon. Uh, we really loved it. Hey, for Christmas, yeah, we, it we was, did their DNA testing.
1: Yeah, it was awesome. It was a lot more thorough than I, I'd even expected it to be. It came back, and there was like a whole dog tree, family tree, mm. I guess you'd call it, of where their lineage comes from, mm-hmm. and it was really cool.
0: Yeah. So actually, I learned a lot about the history of the dog evolution and DNA. And, you know, we looked at the haplotypes when we were looking at our dog's breeds, and uh, I didn't understand any of it. But so this research into the dog, the history of the dog that I did for this podcast actually helped me understand that. And hopefully, you'll get a better sense of what happened with the evolution of the dog and how they're not completely sure how dogs evolved. Um, there's lots of in fighting in between the scientists between like what the actual theory is and what could be proven. But I think the things that we were able to learn about our dogs has only been recent developments in the um, study of dog genealogy since like about 2014-ish. So... Yeah, the fact that we can get our dogs down to like 27%, like Louise, she's 27% golden retriever, the fact that they can know that has only been in the scientific field of study for like six-ish years.
1: That's kind of wild. I know so- someone in your family had mentioned about how when they had done it for one of their dogs... it it didn't tell you that like Mm -hmm. it just like gave you bare bones information Mm -hmm. so it's cool that you know it's a good thing you i guess waited this long because you've had jasper since 2012 Mm -hmm. right so it's a good thing we waited this long to do all these tests because we got all these advancements and the advancements in the technology on skyrocketing
0: (laughs) well and jasper being a korean village dog is really cool as well we'll post pictures of our babies so you can see them um after this episode drops and you can see their DNA test but yeah Jasper being a Korean village dog is actually you know a really unique well not really unique but it's a different breed than what we're used to and uh, I just think it's really fascinating
1: well yeah especially when you'd always said that oh he's a probably a Dachshund corgi yeah. <laughs> and, so wrong but you could see that in the pictures he kind of looks like that you could definitely see yeah. that and then to have it come back and it's like, nope, he's 100% a Korean village dog.
0: Yeah. And I know that it's right because I actually adopted him from Korea. So listeners, <laughs> I... Uh, yeah. Have... Before
1: you sound off in the comments, all you haters. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So today there are over 400 recognized breeds of dogs. Um, and then all of the mutts and such that make up the world that we live in. Genetic studies show that dogs and modern wolves display reciprocal monophyly, which means separate groups which implies that dogs are not genetically close to any living wolf population and that the wild ancestor of the dog is actually extinct.
1: I thought you were going to say it's actually a primate. we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are monkeys. Yeah. Just <laughs> like we're just, we're just so connected to them. Uh, they're not connected to wolves? Well,
0: they are, but not the wolves that we know. So oh. I'll... I'll I'll read a little bit more here about my research and then if it doesn't make sense, we can talk about it. Sure. So what actually happened is that in in currently extinct, so this animal doesn't exist anymore, late Pleistocene wolf may have been the ancestor of the dog with the dog's similarity to the current gray wolf being a result of genetic admixture slash breeding between the two. So dogs are actually quite genetically close to the gray wolf, but they don't come from the gray wolf. So like previously people had thought that dogs have had evolved from the gray wolf but that's not true they share a common ancestor um that's now extinct
1: that's cool is there did you find any I guess what the dog or sorry what the wolf would have looked like like is it like super friggin' big or does it look like a gray wolf did, did you find any? i didn't like find any of that no oh interesting
0: yeah so yeah the gray wolf is the closing closest living relative to the dog and there's no evidence of any other canine species having contributed to uh, the dog DNA. So that means that dogs are not genetically coyotes or jackals. So although they might look the same. Jackals?
1: Don't. What's a jackal? It's like a wild African dog. I thought it was a bunny.
0: <laughs> that's a jackalope.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. I just picture, I just remember there was a, there was a Scooby-Doo movie that I used to watch and they would always talk about, I guess, a jackalope, not a jack, jackal. So yeah, that's what I was thinking about.
0: Yeah, jackalopes are rabbits with like the deer
1: antlers. Right. And that's what they were trying to find. Yes.
0: So, a little
1: different. (laughs) Just a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, genetically, coyotes and jackals and wolves and dogs do actually all trace their genetics back to this ancient Pleistocene wolf. But
1: coyotes and jackals and dogs. Oh oh my! my.
0: (laughs) Sorry, I stole your thunder there a little. No,
1: no, it was good. We uh, we're just so insane.
0: We really are. So I kind of went down a little bit of a rabbit hole while
1: a (laughs) jackalope (laughs) hole.
0: Yeah. While I was reading about the split between dogs and wolves and where and when they diverged and when they were domesticated and where they were domesticated, it's probably far too confusing and convoluted for the purpose of this podcast. So if you are interested in learning about that, um, you can definitely do a deep dive on the web. There's tons of good resources, Wikipedia and moving on from there. I found a lot of like really scientific journals that were actually written pretty at a pretty basic scientific journal level that you could probably read it uh, and understand what they're saying. But like there's just so much out there and I'll link all the resources that I looked through in our show notes. So I'm giving you a basic history of dogs here and this isn't a full history of it.
1: I'm perfectly okay with that. I want to know the Cliff Notes version of this.
0: <laughs> so, thanks to thousands of years of human interaction and intervention, today we have a wide variety of dog breed variety, from a corgi to a Saint Bernard to a Chihuahua to the Great Dane. The history of dogs all starts with our human ancestors and the extinct wolf's ancestors first encountered dogs were the first domesticated animal and the only large carnivore to be domesticated. So, if you think about it, we don't have pet tigers.
1: We don't. Have. Some people do.
0: Well. But, like...
1: Doesn't Mike Tyson have one? Or was that just in the movie The Hangover?
0: But that tiger would still, if it had the chance, probably eat him. I don't think Louise would eat me if she had the chance.
1: Have you seen the way she looks at me? She (laughs) looks at me like I'm I'm a friggin' steak. She's always putting my (laughs) hand in her mouth.
0: This is true. That's because she's part golden retriever.
1: Sounds like she's part golden lion to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They earned a place with almost every society across the globe for thousands of years. So the relationship of domestication and human settlement has a huge influence on the course of early human history and the development of civilization. I have a quote here by a man named Grieger Larson, and he is one of the people that has done a lot of research into the history of dogs. He's an archaeologist and a geneticist, which helps because, you know, he can dig into the ground but also test their genes. And so he says, quote, Remove domestication from the human species, and there's probably a couple of a million of us on the planet, max. Instead, what do we have? Seven billion people, climate change, travel, innovation, and everything. Domestication has influenced the entire Earth, and dogs were the first. For most of human history, we're not dissimilar to any other wild primate. We're manipulating our environments, but not on a scale bigger than, say, a herd of African elephants. And then, we go into partnership with this group of wolves. They altered our relationship with the natural world. So his whole argument basically is that if we hadn't started domesticating things, specifically starting with dogs, we would not have what we have today. So we wouldn't be making this podcast. We wouldn't have our Dragon Ball Z. I don't know why I went with that. We wouldn't have our Marvel Universe. We wouldn't have all the things that we have today if we hadn't done the domestication of the dog.
1: Really? That's fascinating. But how was that the trigger that kind of set it off that we were, that led us down this road to do all the things that we've done?
0: So if we think of the study of human, the human species, we, you know, domesticated dogs way before the invention of agriculture, um, before the invention of the wheel, before we domesticated plants and animals, um... So it kind of gave us a leg up on all the other hunter gathering animals that were out there. We had this friend that we could use to help us take down food. And so when you are feeding a population and you're not always starving and thinking, where's my next meal coming from? If you have a steady source of food, you can start thinking long term. And that's one of the things that actually makes humans different is that we can think about our futures, whereas other animals can't. So we know that we're getting food. We know that we're going to be safe. We can start to think, oh, how should we structure our society? Should we start living with a fire or all these types of things? So it kind of sets the stage for that. And then the ball keeps rolling and rolling and rolling and gets us to our podcast.
1: Interesting. So you're saying that I should take Jasper hunting with me. (laughs) Yes. Okay. That's all I took from that. So.
0: Most researchers who study canine genetics agree that dogs really are domesticated wolves, but not the gray wolf that we know today, that old ancient version of the wolf.
1: That we're assuming was really, really big because that's even cooler than just a regular gray wolf. Exactly.
0: So their scientific name, the dog, is Canis lupus familiaris. So lupus being wolf, uh, familiaris being family. But the where and the when that wolves began to trust humans is unclear. So there's a large body of research that suggests that dogs were domesticated between 12,500 and 15,000 years ago. However, more recent genetic studies suggest that domestication might have taken place even earlier than that. And some researchers believe that dogs might have cohabitated with humans as early as 130,000 years ago, long before our human ancestors settled into agricultural communities. So to me, that second theory made a lot of sense. And that doesn't mean that I'm right. Uh, there was a piece of research that I had read way back in the day that said that cats had been domesticated later than dogs, and that has contributed to the way that they behave with humans. So, the hypothesis is that if an animal has been domesticated further back, they'll have more like friendly um, characteristics. They'll be more inclined to be helpful to the human rather than an animal that has been domesticated closer to the time that we live today so if you think of a cat versus a dog right like dogs are so loyal and like friendly and they just love you no matter what whereas cats are kind of like take it or leave it
1: so that's why cats are dicks you're saying
0: (laughs) that is my hypothesis i don't know (laughs) if it's been proved but yes
1: i don't know i think uh we could just call that fact and call it a day
0: perfect (laughs) So, it stands to reason in my mind that if dogs hadn't been domesticated so much earlier, um, it's part of their genetic history to trust us and depend on us. So, that's why I think personally that the domestication of dogs probably happened further back in our history than so much sooner. But I have no research or data to back that up. It's just a memory of a random thing that I read once. <laughs> 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 However, the first undisputed dog, which is not a wolf, is found in the remains of a find called the Bonn Oberkassel dog which was buried beside the humans 14,200 years ago. Um, However, there are some disputed remains of dog that they think occurred as far back as 36,000 years ago.
1: But they're not sure. Right. Okay. That seems like a wide margin, either between 14,000 or 36,000
0: years. Mm -hmm. Or even 130,000 years. And I think they're probably getting that based on like, genetic like studying genetics rather than remains so what i was saying there was that um they found a uh, remains of a dog that was like buried with humans and that one they studied its genetics and they're like absolutely 100% this is a dog but they've also found remains that are 36,000 years old and then there's disputes about the genetics or the remains of that one whether or not that's a dog and i don't know why i'm not
1: a geneticist but then it also might go 130,000 years back yes Man, I, I hope someday that they narrow that down. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, the study of ancient history is pretty tricky because nothing's written down. And you're studying old yeah. random things you find in the ground. Where So the where of domestication is also disputed. There's a couple of different theories okay. about that.
1: <laughs> this isn't the history of dogs. This is the history of probably dogs. <laughs> That's true. Yeah.
0: There's evidence that points to both Asia and Europe as the site of initial domestication, uh, which has resulted in a scientific tug of war. A study in 2016 called, now this is a big title, genomic and archaeological evidence suggests a dual origin of domestic dogs, that's the title, um, suggests that dogs were actually domesticated twice in both Europe and Asia. But then a study in 2017 suggested that there was only one locale for domestication, but that domestication took place earlier than thought between 20,000 and 40,000 years ago.
1: I know you're shaking your head at me. Just uh, so <laughs> many different numbers and times, but, like, this is this is crazy. So so Europe and Asia are kind of at a dispute where they're like, "No, we did it first. No, we did it first. Is there a is there a fight going on between that or no?
0: Well, maybe between the scientists. I don't know that like Asia and Europe are oh, fighting so about this. So
1: it's not a real fight. They're like just like writing in their angry comment sections yeah. like no we did it first no we did it first yeah exactly yeah. the implication being that nerds can't fight <laughs> i know i'm one of them i can't fight
0: another recently published study which looked at the genetics of more than 150 dog breeds unearthed traces of something that they're calling a new world dog
1: is that jasper no mm- no oh
0: which they say migrated with humans across the bering strait which is like another kind of theory that's di- di- disputed um, oh good
1: another one <laughs> yeah
0: right now you know it's been wildly he- wildly held that um the ice age uh during the ice ages time that there was a land bridge between alaska and uh russia i guess and then people walked over it but now There's a lot of studies saying that this isn't possible and that the Bering Strait wasn't actually a thing. So anyways,
1: that that can be
0: disputed. We're not going to
1: go into that. So I recently watched the Ice Age movies. Oh my. (laughs) And I can say, I I don't think I saw any dogs. Coincidence? I think not.
0: It's true. So regardless of the error of the Bering Strait theory... In terms of this new world dog, there is archaeological evidence that shows evidence of a dog. And the study um, that was done that looked at the 150 different breeds was the first to show that there is living evidence of these dogs in modern breeds. So whatever this dog was that lived on the continent of North America and South America. So these breeding breeds include the Peruvian hairless dog ugh, and the it's
1: Wait. Hello, I am the Sholo Quincio dog. Sholo
0: it's Quincy.
1: <laughs> and now we present Sholo, it's Quincy.
0: I'm trying to pronounce this correctly. I'm saying it really wrong. It's X O L O I T Z C U I N T L I. Sholo, it's Quinly. I'm yeah. saying it wrong.
1: Well, but you know, that's fine.
0: Let' well, that's a breed that exists now. Okay. In South America.
1: Okay. I'm glad that Jasper isn't that kind of of dog. I'd have such a hard time. This is my dog, Jasper. He's a show its I
0: think you did a better job of it than I did. Thank you. Yes. So those two breeds that exist today um, have genetic markers that kind of date them back to being related to this New World dog that lived on the continent. So there's all of these different dogs that may have been domesticated first. Was it in the north america's was it in asia was it in europe where did it happen we don't know uh you can look in our show notes where i've linked all of these different studies so if you want to dive deeper into that you absolutely can but i'm not going to go any more deeper because it was a huge rabbit hole and i spent literally two afternoons researching these things
1: ja- jack and hole jack and
0: jackalope hole,
1: jackalope hole. i couldn't remember the name of it <laughs> so are you
0: ready for another dispute oh good <laughs> <laughs> so we've disputed where when There's and all- why
1: now no how how <laughs>
0: <laughs> so some people argue that early human hunter gatherers actively tamed and bred wolves choosing those that had the most likable and safe behaviors. So that's one theory. Um, But others say that wolves domesticated themselves by scavenging the carcasses left by human hunters or loitering around campfires, growing tamer with each generation until they became permanent companions.
1: Both seem plausible. Mm -hmm. So that's... Huh.
0: It's probably more likely that they were domesticated by accident. Docile wolves being slipped extra food scraps then survived better than the mean, angry wolves and passed on the nice genes uh, to their cubs, and thus friendly wolves evolved into dogs. People like the idea of a story that someone picked up a wolf cub and made it a dog, but it's a much more complex process than that. So according to Larson, that's the guy I quoted before, he says that this confusion exists because dogs were domesticated so long ago and have crossbred so often with wolves and each other that their genes are like, quote, a completely homogenous bowl of soup. Somebody goes, what ingredients were added, in what proportion, and in what order to make that soup? The patterns we see could have been created by 17 different narrative scenarios, and we have no way of discriminating between them, End quote. The only way of learning this is to look into the past, so by gathering fossils and collaborators in the attempt to get the DNA from as many dog and wolf fossils as possible.
1: So as we go on, like right now, there's lots of dis- disputes, but... In the future, as they discover more, there's a chance that the time span will go and get narrower mm-hmm. and we'll get closer mm-hmm. to knowing the actual history of dogs. So maybe in 20 years, we'll do a follow-up.
0: <laughs> maybe. Um, and so that's actually the work that this Larson character is doing. He's trying to figure out when did the dog actually become...
1: If If there's one thing I know about this Larson, he's quite the character. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so the genetic sequences of these... Um, The dog and wolf fossils will show exactly how the ancient canines relate to each other and to the marten dogs. So read the article that I link about the Atlantic Journal.
1: I don't want to. Okay.
0: <laughs> so in canines, humans... So like I was talking about those wolves, right? Like breeding them for specific purposes. Uh, humans began to breed them for specific traits. And this process of selective breeding has occurred for thousands of years in numerous domesticated species, not just dogs. So horses, pigs, grain tomatoes. All of these things are bred for specific traits to make them better for human consumption. So in the beginning, humans were breeding dogs for specific things. Um, example, don't eat your baby, be a good hunter, you know, sniff out the fox in the hole before they actually began to breed them for um, conformational traits. So conformational traits being uh, what the dog looks like. So specifically, maybe you want the pug nose in a pug dog. So you would pick dogs that had that nose that you're looking for. But where and when certain types of dogs originated, so the Pug, the Great Dane, the St. Bernard, we don't really know. Super. (laughs) So we're going to get into a little bit more modern times and the history of the breeds that we know now. So I'm skipping a whole ton of history. The last thing we talked about was like 14,000 years ago when maybe we had our first dog that wasn't a wolf. And now we're going to skip ahead to about the Victorian age when we start to breed Um, specific types of dog they had breeds before this victorian time period but this is when we see the explosion of the almost 400 different breeds that we have today so the majority of dog breeds that we recognize today have been developed within the last 150 years spurred by what is known as the victorian explosion so in great britain during the victorian age dog breeding intensified and expanded resulting in many of our most recognizable breeds of dogs. And I thought this history was super interesting because there's a lot of social and cultural history that goes into it as well, and a little bit of scientific history as well. The Victorians were influenced by the ideals of Charles Darwin. Are you familiar with him?
1: Oh, yes, I am. Do Do you want me to go on? Yeah. Charles Darwin... The uh, evolution, right? Exactly. That uh, he was on the Galapagos Islands, and then he, he was watching all these uh, Galapagos turtles bang out, and and that gave him the theory of evolution, right?
0: Yeah, like a really succinct <laughs> history that you just gave us. <laughs> well done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what my history used to t- uh, teacher used to tell me that ah, uh, oh, he was on the Galapagos Islands, and then all these turtles start banging out, and there you got evolution. Cool. Yeah,
0: he did a succinct also history of it. <laughs> So Darwin had been working on the theory of evolution at this time, um, also thinking about natural selection, survival of the fittest, um, and the phrase natural selection meaning that those individuals best fitted for the complex and in the course of ages changing conditions to which they are exposed, generally survive and procreate their kind. So basically, if you are fit enough to survive in the environment in which you live, the the weak ones won't survive and they will die. Now, humans, I just want to make a little point here, have chosen collaboration rather than dog eat dog even though we live in this capitalistic society where we think it is a dog eat dog world the history of humanity is really one of collaboration and i wish we could get back to that
1: yeah because i wish we could get back to a conversation on that too maybe someday because i just like to talk about how like i think we should go back to a dog eat dog world where we just eat everyone who's weaker than us i would get eaten really fast though so maybe not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm and also I'm not fit anymore. I'd, I'd be I'd be squished.
0: So those who survive <laughs> not Dakota pass their genes on to the next generation and by definition are the fittest. Darwin is usually known for studying pigeons and flora and fauna on the island of Patagonia. However, he was also interested in dog evolution and made a special trip to investigate the shepherd dogs of South America. Who had been described a few years earlier by a French naturalist, who had stated, quote, "They, being the dogs, sucked on ewe's milk and were raised with sheep from infancy."
1: Ewe's milk,
0: like female sheep.
1: That's what they call sheep. Female sheep. Ewes. E W E.
0: Ew. Ew. I've what
1: never heard. Of that before. Well, it's you is how Ew. you would say it. Ew. I've never heard of that before. Okay, carry on. <laughs>
0: They suckled on ewe's milk and were raised with sheep from infancy. They traveled with their flock, taking it to pasture, bringing it home, protecting it from marauding wildlife and dogs. In their spare time, they hunted partridges and jaguars for their masters who abused them horribly, even to the point of slashing them with knives.
1: Look, there's a partridge in a pear tree. Get him!
0: (laughs) Operating slowly over a long time frame, natural selection is more potent than what humans can accomplish through selective breeding of domestic animals. Breeders can't create new traits for domestic species, Darwin said. They can only concentrate or de-emphasize those that are already present. Through methodical or conscious selection, a breeder decides what characteristics he or she wants and then strives to reach them. Unconscious selection, on the other hand, involves the preservation by man of the most valued and the destruction of the least valued individuals without any conscious intention on his part of altering the breed. So again, they won't eat the baby versus the pug nose effect. Not eating the baby would be unconscious selection, while methodical selection would be looking for the pug nose. Generally, these two ideas worked side by side, but in subtle ways. And by Darwin's time, several greyhound breeders had crossed their dogs with bulldogs to add courage. Pointers were crossed with foxhounds for speed and agility to be able to keep up with the horses. And bulldogs were downsized after the demise of bull baiting. The breeders doubtless would want to match the fastest dogs with the fastest, but they could hardly imagine what the animal would end up looking like. And it was, according to Darwin, much different from the old hound.
1: I've always found that fascinating, just breeding different types of dogs to get different results. Like, like you said, the breeding the certain ones for courage with bulldogs, you said, right? Yes. And... And then other ones for like speed and agility. Like, I just think that's so cool that each dog has their purpose. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of essentially over time make the dog that you want, you know? Yeah. Very cool.
0: It kind of reminds me of the TikTok challenge where they breed the ugly out of the Sims. Have you seen that?
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) So they create like this
0: really ugly Sim and they'll find like a hot Sim and they'll make them have babies until they can breed the ugly out. So I guess that's what the Victorians I feel like that would take
1: a really long time in that game.
0: I don't know. I've never done it. So well,
1: maybe we'll have to get the Sims to do that.
0: I guess so. So that is where the Victorian explosion comes in from. They know that they can breed these dogs to give them certain specific um, unconscious traits. So the courage or the speed and stuff. But they don't know what it's going to look like. And then they start to think, well, let's see. Can we play around with what it looks like as well? So science and engineering are all the rage. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) Science and engineering are all the rage in Britain at this time. And we also see the creation of the middle class. This is also the time of the Industrial Revolution. So people start to have a little bit more money. Vast numbers of people were improved as their hard work finally paid off. And improved people needed improved dogs. So here's some of the cultural and social influences on the history of dogs. Between 1874 and the beginning of the 20th century, the number of dog breeds recognized in Britain swelled to include foreign variations of older ones, such as the Welsh Terrier and the Sky Terrier, and then they started to include these manufactured breeds, such as the Yorkshire Terrier, Funyon.
1: Funyon. That's my mother's dog. (laughs) Uh, Her name is Fiona. We call her Funyon, or or Fania.
0: And she's a Yorkshire Terrier. (laughs) Uh, The Victorians had become passionate about breeding for the ideal of a certain breed. Many of the traits that we currently think of as a classic look for a certain type of dog have their origins in this era. And so if you look through pictures of dog breeds from a 100 years ago, and I'll link to that, uh, compared to their current counterparts, you can see dramatic changes that have occurred as dog breeders or fenciers selectively bred for traits such as Shorter legs. Dachshunds were taller 100 years ago than they are now.
1: Oh, really? Mm -hmm. They're so little now. I know.
0: Uh, Stockier build. So German shepherds were actually more lanky and skinny at the turn of the century.
1: Really? Yeah. Again, that's just fascinating how you can do that.
0: In 100 years.
1: Yeah. That's a good turnaround point. Turnaround time. Mm
0: -hmm. Many people today question whether these perfect traits of the breed are even good for the dog. So think about the pug. I keep coming back to this pug dog. Is that nose where it's smushed against his face helpful or hindrance?
1: Hindrance, but it's so cute. Exactly. (laughs) So
0: is that a good thing for the dog or not?
1: Uh, No, but it's a good thing for the human. So Mm -hmm. human knows best.
0: So these new and improved dogs, the manufactured ones, quickly became a must-have status symbol through the invention of the dog show. (laughs) so think of Westminster Kennel Club Mm -hmm. that happened in the Victorian time
1: that's pretty cool I would have thought that was more of a modern in the age of social media type uh type of invention you know the what is it called the dog bowl the puppy bowl puppy bowl at Super Bowl yeah that type of thing
0: yeah that's different than what I'm talking about
1: what are you talking about
0: so dog shows are when you will have like your hunting class and your class. And so each class, a specific breed fits in there. So, oh man, I haven't talked about dog shows in forever. Um, like beagles, um, foxhounds, uh, bloodhounds. I think those all count as hunter dogs. And so they'll, they'll pick the best looking one that fits the conformational traits of that breed. So let's say, um, they have to have a specific length of nose and a specific length of ear. Um, a specific height the best breed will run around in a circle and then they'll have these like judges that'll look at each each dog and say you're the best one of the beagles so you win this win this title of best in
1: show oh wow so what the hell is the puppy bowl then i don't know (laughs) i've never actually watched it me neither (laughs) We're terrible dog owners if we haven't watched the Puppy Bowl.
0: True. So dog mania swept across Britain starting in 1862 where the- Dog mania!
1: It's electric!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Where the new and improved dog took center stage. The British aristocracy had always been keen on dogs. They've always liked them. Um, And they were the ones that kept close track of the pedigrees and controlled that. But now you could have your manufactured breed. Canine valor was also tested in the field and exalted in the arts. Meanwhile, the dog as entertainment had long been the domain of the lower class with things such as bull or bear baiting, where the dog would be put into a ring and would have to try and kill either a bull or a bear or be killed by that thing. Holy shit. Yes, but that ended in 1853 with the first cruelty to animal
1: acts. Thank God Jasper would get his ass kicked.
0: Rat baiting, however, remained a gambling sport in pubs until 1912.
1: Where you just throw your dog in and he has to fight a rat? I guess so. Uh, Jasper could handle that.
0: Yeah. People who enjoyed this type of entertainment were known as the fancy. <laughs> and those of the fancy who could breed the fastest, toughest dogs were able to make a good living on these betting games. And for their wives, the new money bought servants, empty time, and lap dogs like the King Charles Spaniel, who was favored by Queen Victoria. The Fancy continued to build on their dog sporting events and began toy dog beauty shows. The aristocrats saw this entrepreneurial overstep as a threat to dilute the purity of the British dog's pedigree and thus created the Kennel Club in order to set rules for the show. And just like, this just makes me laugh so much when I read about this because they're like, ah, those peasants, they're out there trying to take over our dog show and they're Uh going to ruin our blood of our dogs. And so they create this Kennel Club where they're like... The perfect bulldog can only have a nose of 12 inches long. To be like, screw you, you peasants. You can't get into our dog world. Uh, sorry,
1: I get excited about some things. So the fancy people were all doing uh, doing these dog shows where they were like, the, the nose has to be this long. And the peasants were like, the, the,
0: So the peasants are actually the fancy. They're what? the same
1: people. Okay, so they weren't calling them peasants? That was a you thing?
0: Yeah, I called them peasants. Sorry
1: dear on this podcast we like poor people okay i'm sorry <laughs> now there was two classes of fancy people and certain fancy people were like oh these dogs the we're gonna have these dog shows where you can the noses have to be a specific length but then the other ones were like ah we just want them to fight rats
0: well i think i might have confused you a little bit here yes <laughs> <laughs> so the fancy are the people that are creating the new types of dog breeds
1: the fancy Yes. Is that what they're called? Yes. Oh, they're not just... Capital bit. F. Oh, I thought you were talking about like rich people.
0: No, and I even told you that and you laughed. <laughs> so, okay, I'll read this part to you again. Okay, okay. Rat baiting, bear baiting, bull baiting, people who enjoyed that type of entertainment were known as the fancy. And those of the fancy who could breed the fastest, toughest dogs were able to make more money than the other fancy people.
1: Okay, see, even though you read that to me, I still hear that and I'm like, oh, she's still talking about fancy people, the fancy rich people. (laughs) (laughs) No. So clearly that just didn't sink in. Got it. Okay, so these people aren't rich or are they?
0: No, they're not. So they're the new middle class people that are coming up.
1: So we're the fancy. We are the fancy. Ooh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But that's actually a really good analogy. We would be, if we could like superimpose our... Selves into Victorian England, we probably would be the fancy, based on what we, you know, we both have jobs and are well off for according to stuff.
1: Well, I'm getting a bowler hat and a monocle. Perfect.
0: Can't wait. So, what's happening is that the fancy are continuing to breed these different types of dogs, and the aristocrats, the aristocrats, the, the aristocrats. No, it's a great Disney movie. The aristocrats are seeing this as a threat to what they had done right so this is their they see these the fancies coming in and taking over their stomping grounds of being the one and only um they're essentially being gatekeepers do you understand do you know have you heard that term before
1: yes so they're not letting others enjoy their specific thing that they're doing exactly okay they're yeah. like uh they're like this uh, being elitist essentially yeah you yeah. perfect you hit the nail on the head i always do
0: Yeah, good. I mean, you know what? That was a good, like, good little chat we had there. Thank you. Okay, so the aristocrats are upset about what the fancy are doing, and so they create the Kennel Club to set rules for the shows that were starting to become, uh, take over England at the time. A natural selection. So breeding for a specific type of thing rather than breeding the fittest dog. Social pretensions and a showbiz atmosphere set the tone for thousands of dog shows drawing Victorians of all classes but on separate days because you can't mix to marvel at dogs who were changing before their eyes. With wolves extinct in Britain, animal baiting banned, and game birds bred and delivered within the shooting range, dogs no longer needed valor, courage, and stamina. Now they can be cute. They were freed to be selected for looks alone, and each club created a demanding standard for its breed's appearance and assigned a numerical value to it. At this point, there was little science to guide them. They had Darwin's warnings against inbreeding, but they didn't necessarily follow these all the time because they were attempting to produce physical duplicates of the latest standard. For example, the pug shrank from 14 kilograms to 10, pointers grew larger, and more toxic standards were set for the newly redundant bulldog. Selective breeding produced extremely flat-faced dogs that were favored in the ring. The goal was improvement of the show and not of the dogs. Breed standards were based on fashion and were locked into place making to make judging easier and competition fairer. So if you want to read more about that, there's a book called The Invention of the Modern Dog, Breed and Blood in Victorian England by Michael Warby's Julie Marie Strange and Neil Pemberton. And I think I'm going to buy that book after this episode. Breeding for conformational traits has continued through to the 20th century and has resulted in the 400 plus types of dogs recognized as distinct breeds. The downside of this extensive breeding program was the loss of genetic diversity and confirmation changes that have had detrimental breed specific health consequences, including the development of diseases. So in a quote I found by Meg Daly Olmert, this perfectly sums up the idea of breeding for confirmation. She says, to me, The greatest service offered by the book The Invention of the Modern Dog is to remind us not to breed dogs for confirmation alone. We knew that 150 years ago. Take the Dalmatian, which owes its spots to a gene profile associated with a painful urinary disease. A simple outbreeding to an English pointer in 1973 left the breed with spots and good health. In 2011, 15 generations later, the American Kennel Club finally recognized it as a true dalmatian we now have the genetic science and technology to make true improvements to the 21st century dog we can and we must use this knowledge to reinvent the victorian canine into an animal bred for good health and temperament and i can't wait to see what that dog looks like the end yeah so dakota what do you think
1: yeah i thought that was really interesting i i found it interesting how there were so many disputes and like the world of dog breeding seems pretty cutthroat (laughs) yeah I think, like i think it might be like well honestly that doesn't surprise i mean it's not something i've overly ever thought about but the the way i think about it like i'm thinking about it now i'm like i can see that it, it being like a very like fancy actual fancy not the fancy fancy dog people probably want their dog to be the best dog right uh not not all of them of course but like i can see that type of person existing mm-hmm. And so in that regard, it's not surprising that that type of... It's not surprising that dog breeding could be as cutthroat as it maybe is.
0: Well, and especially when, like, a Great Dane goes for $3,000 a puppy. That's wild. And we're getting one. Oh, God. (laughs) Louise
1: is part Great Dane, okay? 8%. Yeah, 8%. She counts, okay? She does. Don't disqualify her, okay? Okay. So, my rating. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. I give this... 8.3 jackalope holes out of 10. Perfect.
0: It's better than the 6.8.
1: Yes. I really liked learning more about dogs. I was really excited when you brought up this topic because you know how much I love dogs. Mm -hmm. I do look forward to a future where we potentially find out more about that, there are more confirmations on where these dogs came from. A time gap going down mm-hmm. a little bit instead of being from 130,000 to 12,000, 12,000, or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that we until only what seven years ago, 2014 was when we started getting more of those percentages. That's like such a short time ago. I'm just really fascinated to find out and we're going to have dogs our entire life so i'm just fascinated to see like you know as we get dogs throughout the years what they're what we'll be able to see from their breeds and what will change and stuff so yeah i thought it was uh i thought it was quite fascinating thank you you're welcome
0: all right so yeah if you guys want to see pictures of our dogs because we'll put them up or if you have a dog that is a rescue and you want to know what breed they are, uh, you should look up Embark.
1: Yeah, go to EmbarkVet.com, I believe it is. Yeah,
0: and it's unfortunate that we're not sponsored by them because this would be a great opportunity.
1: For sure. And uh, yeah, they were really good to work with. All you do is you uh, they'll send you a kit. You take the swab and you swab your dog's mouth for about 30 seconds. It's really fun to, <laughs> to do that to them. They hate it with a passion. And then you send it in and they get back to you as soon as possible. And it's just a really easy process. They also will send you uh, the dog relatives, which, so cute. which uh, I we actually have a couple more dog oh, relatives to look at. I forgot perfect. to tell you um, of who is actually shares DNA with our dogs.
0: Yeah. So we can see Louise and Ollie's cousins. Jasper doesn't really have any cousins because he's over in Korea. He's, yeah. But um, Louise and Ollie are from up north. And so there's quite a few people, uh, I guess, in Saskatchewan and around and further that are DNAing their dog to see. And so we get to find out who their cousins are, which is cool.
1: Yeah. So go do that if you have some dogs. It's really, really worth it.
0: Embark. Go to it. It's great. So that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Also, please leave us a review or tell your friends about us so they can listen to us too.
1: If you want to stay in contact or see behind the scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com.
0: So, we'll see you next week, same time, same place.
1: And keep on fighting those rats. There's a lot of money in it, I hear.